0: This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Thinking and Doing. In this podcast, I examine logical fallacies, cognitive biases, stoic teachings from masters past and present, and tips on being better at life. I hope it will be as instructive to you as it is to me in the pursuit of thinking and doing well. Be sure to check out and subscribe to the Voluntariest Voices podcast brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary's Voices is a podcast featuring lectures, interviews, and audio essays by intellectual giants past and present. Hello and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at a logical fallacy and a cognitive bias. We're going to start with the zero sum fallacy, and then we'll look at the gambler's fallacy. All right, our source, our resource for the zero sum fallacy is the Logic Place, which is a WordPress blog. So I'll link to this. You can check this out. It's got a lot of a lot of interesting stuff on here as far as logic is concerned. It's got fallacies, paradoxes, puzzles. Uh, essays, quotes, all kinds of different things. So this is um, an article that was originally published in December 2012 called The Zero Sum Fallacy. I'm just going to read through this and add my commentary. It says, in game theory, zero sum describes a game where one player's gain is a loss to other players and the total amount of the available money or playing chips is fixed. A logical fallacy often occurs when this particular game theory is applied to real-life economic or political discussions amongst non-economists, leading to false beliefs that the amount of wealth or jobs in the economy is fixed. This mistaken view is illustrated by expressions such as a larger slice of the pie, which imply that the pie has a fixed size and the net welfare cannot be improved by growing a bigger pie. That is, that people can only become richer by making others poorer or that increasing labor productivity or immigration causes unemployment. In economics, this is known as the lump of labor fallacy, or more generally as the zero-sum fallacy. Many economic situations are not zero-sum, since valuable goods and services can be created, destroyed, or badly allocated in a number of ways, thus creating a net gain or loss of value to various stakeholders. For example, if your house increases in value, it does not follow that somebody else's house has decreased in value it is possible for all houses to increase in value. Specifically, all trade is by definition positive sum, because when two parties agree to an exchange, each party must consider the goods or money it is receiving to be more valuable than the goods it is delivering. In fact, all economic exchanges must benefit both parties to the point that each party could overcome its transaction costs, or the transaction would simply not take place. As P.J. O'Rourke has ironically put it, In this zero-sum universe, there is only so much happiness. The idea is that if we wipe the smile off the faces of people with prosperous businesses and successful careers, that will make the rest of us grin. There's only so much money. The people who have money are hogging it. The way for the rest of us to get money is to turn the hogs into bacon. (laughs) That's the end of the quote. On an international scale, the zero-sum fallacy manifests itself in the false belief that poor countries are poor because rich countries are rich and that poverty can only be alleviated by redistributing wealth from rich countries to poor countries more effective and enduring alternatives such as increased economic development and trade, or the elimination of bad governance and corruption are not even considered. In informal logic, the zero-sum fallacy often takes the form of a false premise. In rhetoric, it is usually a hidden premise, which makes the conclusion of one's argument a non-sequitur. That means that the zero-sum fallacy is usually either a subtype of a false premise fallacy or a non-sequitur fallacy, or both. All right, this is a good one, and it kind of It kind of got into economics and, and therefore it's close cousin politics. And I learned a long time ago that the economy, the market, wealth is not zero sum. Okay. The, the, the pie as the example gave, right? Slice of the pie truly is not a fixed size, right? You can look at the state of the world today how many people are in it how much stuff we have where it all came from how it was developed how it was invented and innovated the level of the levels of wealth that we have the percentage of the world that is mired in poverty it's something like 8% i think it's going back up to 9% after this year because of all of the first world lockdowns that have occurred Just as a tangent, that 1% increase in world poverty is estimated to bring with it 100 million deaths. So in order to prevent a few million first world deaths from COVID-19, we're sacrificing or the powers that be are sacrificing a hundred million third world people. Something to think about. Um, so why, so why is it that? I mean, I just explained it, but let me let me just add a bit more. People are very quick to to think this way: to think that if you are gaining, I must be losing. If Jeff Bezos is gaining all of this wealth, he's now the richest man in the world as far as net worth. Of course, most of that wealth is usually um, asset value, such as his shares in Amazon, his company. Then the rest of us must be worse off, and the only way to fix this uh, manifest injustice is to take his wealth and throw it to the rest of us from helicopters or something. And it's just simply not true. Jeff Bezos is wealthy because he's providing goods and services that other people value more than their money, and they're trading their money to him for access to those goods and services. Now, it's also true that People like Jeff Bezos – I don't know to what extent Jeff Bezos is guilty of this, but but people who own companies, um, businesses, uh, partly for defensive reasons and partly for offensive reasons, they will get in bed with government. They will lobby the state to pass laws to make regulations that will have the effect of uh, somehow earning them more profits by decreasing – either directly right through tax subsidies and whatnot or through making it harder for other people to compete with them okay but without government creating these regulations and and without government being there to lobby to use its uh its its power of uh, force and violence and coercion then these companies couldn't do that they'd have to compete on a on I guess what we could say is a level playing field and maybe Guys like Jeff Bezos wouldn't be quite as rich as they are. What's the solution? Well, the solution is not to just take his wealth. The solution is to fix the problem where the problem is, to strike the root of that issue. And that is the favoritism and the rent, the rent seeking and the corporatism and the putting big business in bed with big government. All right. Sorry. This, this opened the door. This, this opened the door on politics and economics. And I just barged right through it. Um, I apologize for that. If you do want to hear me, you know, rant a bit more on that type of stuff, just, you know, listen to my other podcast, Everything Voluntary. That's, that's where I really get into things. Okay. So that's, that's the zero sum fallacy. Whenever somebody says any, says anything like the rich can only get richer as the poor get poorer, or we want to, we want to, you know, redistribute the wealth as if it's a fixed thing. They are, they are. Committing this fallacy, and maybe we can educate them. We can ask them why they think it's fixed wealth, where all the wealth in the world today came from, how poverty has managed to, you know, be eighty percent, one hundred and whatever years ago, and now it's down to nine percent. How is that possible if there's a fixed pie? It's not. Okay, let's go on to um, our resource for cognitive biases, which is Rolf de Belli's The Art of Thinking Clearly. This is chapter twenty nine titled, Why the Balancing Force of the Universe is Baloney, and he's going to look at uh, what he's calling the gambler's fallacy. All right, here we go. He writes, In the summer of 1913, something incredible happened in Monte Carlo. Crowds gathered around a roulette table and could not believe their eyes. The ball had landed on black 20 times in a row. Many players took advantage of the opportunity and, and immediately put their money on red, but the ball continued to come to rest on black. Even more people flocked to the table to bet on red. It had to change eventually, but it was yet black. It was black yet again and again and again. It was not until the 27th spin that the ball eventually landed on red. By that time, the players had bet millions on the table. In a few spins of the will, they were bankrupt. The average IQ of pupils in a big city is 100. To investigate this, you take a random sample of 50 students. The first child tested has an IQ of 150. What will the average IQ of your 50 students be? Most people guess 100. Somehow they think that the super smart student will be balanced out, because perhaps by a dismal student with an IQ of 50, or by two below average students with IQs of 75. But with such a small sample, that is very unlikely. We must expect that the remaining 49 students will represent the average of the population, so they will each have an average IQ of 100. 49 times 100 plus... One IQ of 150 gives us an average of 101 in the sample. The Monte Carlo example and the IQ experiment show that people believe in the balancing force of the universe. This is the gambler's fallacy. However, with independent events, there is no harmonizing force at work. A ball cannot remember how many times it has landed on black. Despite this, one of my friends enters the weekly Mega Millions numbers into a spreadsheet and then plays those that have appeared the least. All this work is for naught he's another victim of gambler's fallacy. <laughs> the following joke illustrates this phenomenon. A mathematician is afraid of flying due to the small risk of a terrorist attack, so on every flight he takes a bomb with him in his hand luggage. <laughs> the probability of having a bomb on the plane is very low, he reasons, and the probability of having two bombs on the plane, on the same plane, is virtually zero. <laughs> I like that. A coin is flipped three times and lands on heads on each occasion. Suppose someone forces you to spend thousands of dollars of your own money betting on the next toss. Would you bet on heads or tails? If you think like most people, you will choose tails, although heads is just as likely. The gambler's fallacy leads us to believe that something must change. A coin is tossed 50 times, and each time it lands on heads. Again, with someone forcing you to bet, do you pick heads or tails? Now that you've seen an example or two, you're wise to the game. You know that it could go either way but we've just come across another pitfall, the classic déformation professionnelle, professional oversight, of mathematicians. Common sense would tell you that heads is the wiser choice since the coin is obviously loaded. (laughs) In chapter 19, we looked at regression to mean. I don't know that we've looked at that yet. An example, if you are experiencing record cold where you live, it is likely that the temperature will return to normal value over the next few days. If the weather functioned like a casino, there would be a 50% chance that the temperature would rise and a 50% chance that it would drop. But the weather is not like a casino. Complex feedback mechanisms in the atmosphere ensure that extremes balance themselves out. In other cases, however, extremes intensify. Here we go. For example, the rich tend to get richer. A stock that shoots up creates its own demand to a certain extent, simply because it stands out so much. A sort of reverse compensation effect. <laughs> Interesting example. So, take a closer look at the independent and interdependent events around you. Purely independent events really only exist at the casino, in the lottery, and in theory. In real life, in the financial markets, and in business, with the weather and your health, events are often interrelated. What has already happened has an influence on what will happen. As comforting an idea as it is, there's simply no balancing force out there for independent events. What goes around comes around simply does not exist. All right. This is this is definitely another one of those really common uh fallacies or cognitive biases that many people adhere to. And and you you definitely you definitely see it that way um in places like, like uh Las Vegas and whatnot, where people will say things like, you know, I've had a really bad run, I'm due, right? I'm due for for striking it big, right? The universe is going to balance out as I'm going to catch up and many people go home totally broke. <laughs> um, but you know, if you're going to Vegas to have fun, you've just got to set that expectation that you're going to go home broke, right? Give yourself a certain amount of money to have fun with, have fun with it, enjoy the fun, but don't expect to win. Don't expect to bring home more than you brought to, to Vegas or to the casino with you, because the chances are you're, you're not going to win big. The chances are that you're going to come home with less unless you, you know, happen to be a skilled card counter and your game is blackjack and you can, you can resist getting kicked out of, you know, the casinos you visit. That's, that's a bit different. That's not so much gambling. When you're, when you're counting cards and you've got your system in place and you're good at it, it's less gambling and more working, right? It's just applying your skill and earning your income, but it still has nothing to do with the universe balancing anything out. That's a totally different thing. I also liked his example there about the rich tend to get richer. Um, it's interesting when you look at when you look at income mobility, right? When people go from the lowest quintile. To the, to the next, to the mid-quintile, the next, the highest quintile, over a period of decades. What you see is um, a lot of mobility. People start low, they move high. Many people who are high move back down. There's movement over decades between the quintiles. It's not true that the rich from 30 years ago are the same individuals as the rich today. Right. The people that make up that top quintile of income or even of wealth 30 years ago are not the same individuals that make up that top quintile today. Right. There's people in that top quintile today that were totally, probably totally impoverished. Right. 30 years ago. Right. Many of them are immigrants that work hard and come to the U S and leave a much worse place with fewer opportunities to a better place with greater opportunities. And they. Make something of themselves. And before you know it, they are a brain surgeon in that top quintile or they own a tech company and they're millionaires or billionaires, right? Okay. That's neither here nor there. All right. That's going to do it. Let's review. We looked at the zero sum fallacy, the fallacy, the belief that something is a fixed pie. Now an actual pie, right? You have one pie. It is a fixed pie. And if you have four people to feed, and then you've got to, you've got to figure out how much each person wants, right? You can split it into fourths and everybody get the same size, but you may have somebody who doesn't want that much and you may have two people that want a lot and you can figure it out. So people, people have experience with fixed pies. They have experience with fixed amounts of something that need to be divided up, but they fallaciously apply that to other things they shouldn't, they, they shouldn't, or it would, it would be foolish to apply it to, right? Things like wealth and the economy or things like happiness, right? Was the one example given. And then we looked at the gambler's fallacy, right? This idea that the universe um, is going to balance out my bad luck with some good luck, right? But nobody wants to think about the other way. Whoa, I've had, a, I've had a streak of good luck and, you know, the universe is going to really punish me now. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to thinkinganddoingpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Will you do me a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends.